Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. My name's Lucas. And I'm Justin. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we are now at episode 11. And uh, been looking at a lot of the statistics with the episode, the episodes we've been doing. I'm, I'm starting to finally figure out some trends. So where's Coldplay now? Coldplay is at 630. <laughs> we uh, were at... 1,200 listens total, and um, Slipknot episode is doing extremely well. It's That's interesting. In, uh, it's got the best start to any episode I've ever released, including Coldplay, which means that who knows what the capacity, the potential for it could be. So, um, Where is that, it now? It is... Um, it, in only a couple of days, by the way, those of you listening, we actually record a few weeks ahead. So as I'm talking right now, the Slipknot episode is our newest episode that has come out at the time of us talking. Uh, in only two days, it has reached 30 listens, which is on par already with our ACDC episode, which has been out for over a week now. (laughs) And, uh, so... The Coldplay episode in its first week did about 35. And so right now Slipknot's on pace to be our uh, our fastest uh, growing episode. I'm sure that pleases you. It does. And it's it's starting to affirm a little bit of kind of what I feel like our main audience base is wanting mm-hmm. to listen to. Because, I mean, Metallica is up to 300 listens now. It's our, by and far, second most listened to episode. Metal is also in its height right now, too, it wouldn't you is. say? Absolutely it is. Metal is in the best place it's been since the early 90s. That's crazy. Um, partly because it is nowhere in the mainstream. Yep. Although... Slipknot did just do something pretty incredible. They became... This is their third consecutive album to debut at number one on the Billboard 200. Not the, you know, rock charts, not the, you know, modern charts, whatever. This is the Billboard 200 where everyone sits. It's pretty interesting. And they're the first rock slash metal band to do it since the Foo Fighters two years ago. Wow. So it's been a while since we've had kind of like a band that's like, you know, not part of the pop country rap um, demographic to uh, not just debut at number one, but be at number one in general. Hmm. To debut at number one, that's even a bigger accomplishment. So, but besides that, and we've also got Tool coming out with their first album in 15 years or 13. It was 13 years. Uh, at the end of this month. And so everyone's in a fever pitch for that as well. So I have a feeling that's going to also debut at number one. So this is going to be a huge month for metal. And we've still got some huge artists to release albums before the year is over. So there's just so much diversity in metal right now. There's so much um, just togetherness. Before... Metal had a bit of a problem with a, a particular subgenre kind of ruling the mainstream. And what was that? It it depended on the era. So, like, you had, you know, 
new wave of British heavy metal in the early 80s. And you had hair metal. That was the big thing in the yep. mid-80s. Thrash became the big thing in the late 80s, early 90s. Then you had new metal come in in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then you had metalcore in the mid-2000s. And then kind of just after that, metal kind of just dropped away completely from the mainstream. But right now, it's such a diverse group of subgenres that are getting equal attention and praise and res- and respect from audiences. There's not kind of like a dominant style or scene that's taking over. It's a really a mix of everything. Old artists, new artists. It's the best time to be a metal fan and a metal musician right now. So what you're saying is there's a metal revival happening right now. There, I think there really is. Metal is in the best place again. Like probably, it's in the best place I would say since Metallica hit it big in the early '90s. Hmm. Um, not that you have a band that's gonna do that, but as far as just metal is moving forward, and it's really the one place where I would say. Um, creativity is really driving things because you don't have studio executives trying to tell you what to do Yeah, because they know that this is not going to go to a mainstream audience that they know to not mess with metal musicians vision or styles because they're just going to do what they want. And that's exactly what the metal base wants. They want something that's fresh, that's unique, but at the same time, um, patterns what's happened before and there's some really weird stuff coming out right now but that is what makes me so excited because i love (laughs) the weird stuff (laughs) so yeah um so yeah i've been noticing that uh our two metal episodes so far are doing really well and then our two pure pop episodes are doing really well coldplay obviously of course and tears for fears is becoming one of our most listened Mm. to episodes which we talked about before how they're kind of finding a revival here in mm-hmm. this day and age. Yeah, they absolutely are. It is only a few listens behind uh, the first episode, which is Queen, to become the third most listened to episode on our podcast. And um, poor Beatles are just <laughs> kind of sitting at the very bottom, which is just so shocking to me. It's our, it's our least listened to episode overall. You know, it's funny, I think I've talked to a few teenagers in the last couple of weeks, and I mean, they know the Beatles, but they know who they are, but they, which don't, is, they don't know the music. Which is also now giving me a bit of a sense of what age group is listening. Yeah. It's definitely not an older generation that's going to be like, oh, yes, the Beatles, I'm excited. Oh, Steely Dan. Oh, ACDC. It's kind yeah. of the, uh, the more modern bands or the ones that... Uh, again, are kind of in the genres that are have the most going on right now. Now, that doesn't mean to say that's going to influence what bands I pick for each week. I hope I'm not. St- I'm still going to pick what I want to pick. But it is interesting to kind of see what's doing well and what's not. So um, it's I'll, I'll keep you guys updated each week on kind of what the... Um, what the stats are each time because it's it's really fascinating to watch and also just really happy 1.2 thousand listeners that's pretty great i'm I'm really excited about that and we're only 11 episodes 
Only 11. And we still got two episodes that haven't released yet. That's true. So we'll see how uh, Pink Floyd and Fleetwood Mac do once those come yeah. out. I'm interested to see what people's reaction is to Pink Floyd. Yeah. Um, I actually heard a Fleetwood Mac song last week. Oh, yeah? In a movie that I watched. I what watched, movie? Uh, the Kitchen with Melissa McCarthy, uh, Elizabeth Moss. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I can't remember the other girl's name. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Tiffany Haddish. Yes. Was it good? No, it was pretty bad. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I didn't like it. It's... It was fine. Yeah. I mean, you just... You kind of get bored after a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've got AMC Stubbs. Maybe it's one I would have gone to see just because. I haven't seen a movie since uh, Lion... Or no, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hmm. So it's actually... I actually haven't seen a movie in about three weeks or so. I think my wife and I are going to go watch that Peanut Butter Falcon on Friday. Oh, yeah? It's the one with Shia LaBeouf. I didn't even hear a single thing about it. It didn't even exist until I saw a commercial for it on TV yesterday. Yeah. I was just like... Huh, that's interesting. Not, I did not even know this was coming out. Yeah, we saw the preview about a month ago. Okay. But we haven't seen any other thing for it mm-hmm. since. But it comes out tomorrow. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, why don't you say we jump into uh, this week's episode? Speaking of Foo Fighters, I mean, we'll get to that oh, fun yeah. connection with this later. Yes, we will. This week's band is probably... The most popular band of the 90s? I would say say not even probably. This this was the most popular band of the 90s. Uh, That band is Nirvana. I don't know why we always try and put suspense with it. (laughs) You know what artist we're talking about because it's in the title. (laughs) But it's fun to kind of talk about like, ooh, who's he going to say? You know who it is. Uh, Yeah, Nirvana. The flagship band of Generation X, you think? Yes, absolutely. I would say without a doubt. I would say they are really close up there with the Beatles as far as the most influential bands of all time. I think after having listened to them and then just taking a gander around modern music nowadays, it's easy to see. And too, I think just because as a 90s kid, you know, growing up in the 90s and then early 2000s, it's easy to see that mm-hmm. that influence all over. Pretty much Every area of rock and alternative owes most of their things to Nirvana. There were, there were other bands that formed different parts of rock and alternative at that time, but most of it came from Nirvana. And it's not even that Nirvana did it first. There were other grunge bands that released albums before uh, they did. Even Nirvana released albums before they yeah. got big. But what made Nirvana so influential? So, music in general was kind of just stalled in 1990. You you had still um, a lot of the 80s pop stuff going on. 1990 is almost still musically considered part of the 80s. Yeah. Because you still had a lot of the bands using the sounds that they did in the 80s and 90. But you could tell that just like... It had run its course. Getting old, yeah. It wasn't doing... The bands weren't doing as well. Um, You had bands like Guns N' Roses coming along in the late 80s, kind of sounding the end of the hair metal era. They helped kind of... They didn't kill it, but they definitely weakened it. And Nirvana kind of delivered the finishing blow. Yeah. 
but you still had hair metal bands doing fairly well in 1990. I think Poison was still Poison, was yeah. There? You had Skid Row doing Skid Row. coming still going strong in 90. Um Motley Crue was still Oh man. You know, you had Do- Dr. Feelgood in 89 and <laughs> Oh, we will at some point. Absolutely. Uh but Dr. Feelgood came out in 89, so they were still riding high in 90. Mm-hmm. Um but it was just you could tell that there was just like something different needed to happen. But you kind of didn't know what it was. Maybe it was going to be more along the style of Guns N' Roses. That was still decadence 80s theatrics, but it was not as polished or it was a little bit more real. And then just, you know, 80s pop was, you know, you had hip hop that was hip starting was to come starting in. And that, in. Was, that was kind of taking care of a lot of the the new wave and Euro pop stuff that was going on and kind of hip hop taking that spot away from the, uh, a lot of the eighties pop musicians and then Nirvana really just coming in at the right time. So it was when their second album came out, Never mind, in 91. And, um, when that album hit, it just exploded it it came at the right time for what the the young generation at that time was feeling they um they were feeling a lot of angst a lot of hopelessness a lot of frustration they didn't relate to what was going on in the 80s yeah you know it was a lot of just a lot of people feeling like they were outcasts and you know kind of the the burnout stoner type crowd that was just like, you know, trying to just make it through. <laughs> I read somewhere that Nirvana was especially very popular on college campuses. Mm-hmm. That's the crowd that they spoke to because they, they really, they didn't sing about having a good time and getting chicks and going out and partying, um, which is what, all of 80s rock was about. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of their stuff was very emotional. They talk, they they sung about the true inner struggle that a lot of teens were going through at that time. And they were really the... F- they were the first band to do it on such a scale. Because Kurt Cobain was such a tortured artist. Yeah. By the way, Nirvana, three principal members. You had Kurt Cobain, lead guitar player and singer... Uh, lefty guitar player, one of the most one Didn't of the most popular lefty players. Um, you had Chris Novoselic on the bass, and then uh, you had Dave Grohl on the drums. What a an incredible solid drummer he was. That's right, and just a three piece band. So uh, great classic power trio out of Seattle, Washington, which is where the grunge scene really. That's right. Uh, Found life. But again, like I said, Nirvana wasn't the first grunge band. Um, Soundgarden was releasing albums in the late 80s. Um, Alice in Chains had their first album come out in 90 and have fairly decent success with Man in the Box. Um, And then, yeah, Nirvana's first album came out in 89, didn't do anything on the charts it was a very underground record it was the first album called bleach and it's a very noisy very abrasive very un 
mainstream record. It was kind of like your typical underground, almost punk, yeah, hardcore group. But then just there was that shift on Nevermind. It's a Nevermind is a pop record. And I think that's what a lot of people forget about Kurt Cobain is even though Nirvana started as a grunge band, when Kurt decided to give in or really take the plunge and trust his pop songwriting skills, that's mm-hmm. when they really took off. Well, his favorite artist was John Lennon. Yep. And he just, that's that's what he always wanted to do. Just he, he had to deliver it in his own way, in a way that no one had ever heard before. So while a lot of the really early grunge was set on pure angst, pure aggression, not in a heavy metal way, although some of the early stuff is very metallic. Yeah. Soundgarden stuff specifically is is borderline metal. Um he just he brought it to where it was simple, it was um primal, but at the same time it they were just he delivered a batch of such well-written songs. Dave Grohl talked about how he's just like he approached songwriting he was just like these songs need to be as easy to sing as nursery rhymes. That's what he always when he was just like think about can a child pick up on this melody, and he was just like if he if they didn't then he changed the melody to make sure it did but then kind of disguised it with really loud crunching guitars yeah. and gravelly vocals and um, and really dark lyrics. And I think even just the, you know, they're really known for their dynamic contrast of, in the verses, it's real nice and easy, it's mm-hmm. soft, and then come the chorus, it just smacks you right in the face. Yeah. They, screaming vocals. They really set a template for uh, alternative rock and hard rock going forward. Like, everyone started doing that after Nirvana did. Yeah. They, um, they really set the model. And so, yeah, never mind, hit it big. 91 they were not planning on this being a world dominating record it just happened and all of a sudden everyone started calling kurt cobain the spokesman of their generation he didn't really like that too much because he was just like i'm just writing songs about me and what i feel and what i'm going through i didn't mean to like tap into the zeitgeist of what's going on in america but you know, they, they became the biggest band in the world in with Nevermind. And just almost every... That album's almost the greatest hits because there's so many... Like, we're not even going to get to them all in this no. list. There's some there's some big ones I'm leaving off. There's because only two songs on this list, I think, right? From There's only Nevermind. two. There's, no, there's four, but I would say only two of them were big hits. Mm. One of them I could say is a minor hit, but there's definitely some bigger ones I left off on purpose because... It'll make for a great volume two at some point. Um, but yeah, hit it big. Then made a third album in 94 with In uh, Utero. I, don't, I never know how to pronounce that. And I think it's <laughs> Lots Utero. of medical themes. Yeah. And um, that record was a almost like a, uh, a response to Nevermind and how Kurt kind of felt like he made too mainstream of a record, so he wanted to make a decidedly non-mainstream <laughs> record. That, that album at points is really hard to listen to. Yeah. It's really atonal. It's really dissonant. Um, just a lot of like 
screaming and clashing guitars. A little bit back to their roots. Yeah, a little bit. But still carrying over a little bit of Nevermind, because they did have some very successful mainstream songs on that album. And um, then soon after that, Kurt Cobain killed himself. Yep. Um, Shotgun to the face, which was a really unfortunate thing. There's a lot of conspiracies surrounding it. A lot of people think that his wife at the time, Courtney Love, may have killed him. Um, there's just there's a lot of suspicion that I mean, like it's it's obvious from the facts that he killed himself. But there's a lot of people that like to stir the pot. You know, the same people that say that of course Paul McCartney died in 1966, and we've been listening to a look-alike since then (laughs) or that Elvis is still alive somewhere on an island and um you know there's there's people that say that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain who knows I I don't think so but it's still kind of interesting to read all the theories but I mean once Kurt was gone Nirvana was done there's no way they could go on without their their leader their figurehead, their songwriter, just when you only got three members of the band and the most important one is gone, yeah, can't go on from that. Now, the only good thing that really came out of that, unfortunately, and fortunately for all of us, is that that kickstarted a new band that is also one of the, probably one of the most popular hard rock bands of all the time big, the biggest rock band of the last 25 years for sure that's Foo Fighters uh, Dave Grohl just he took out a lot of his grief and his frustration in just writing music and he when he released the first Foo Fighters album no one knew it was him he didn't yeah. he didn't make an announcement it was just this is Foo Fighters it was his it started out as a personal project and it became it's something <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> 25 or so years later here we are amazing yeah oh yeah i love the food fighters we'll we'll do an episode on them at some point um but yeah so nirvana very short career three albums that's it i was gonna say i think one of the things that i every time i listen or i've listened to nirvana i feel like they're like the ultimate garage band they were like they made even their sound, like when I listen to them, I just think of a group of guys or girls just in a garage, just hammering it out mm-hmm. <laughs> with just, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with just how simple their stuff was. Like yeah. anybody, they made it sound like anybody could could play it. Yeah. And I mean, Kirk Cobain himself always said that he was a terrible guitar player. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, because people started telling him that he's, you know, a guitar innovator and all this. And he's just like, that's, I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just because I can't play very well. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he considered himself more of a front man than a, than a guitar player. He was just like, someone's got to play guitar, so I might as well do it. Yeah. And, but it was like, he had a guitar sound and a style that was so irreplicable because it was truly born out of him just trying to make it work for himself. Yeah. You can't intentionally sound like Kurt Cobain because in order to do that, you would need to be a, a fairly mediocre guitar player. Yeah, I've, I have noticed that, and I've read that a lot of people have said that Kurt Cobain is 
sloppy in his guitar playing, but in only a way that he could do it. That mm-hmm. just it just worked for how they how they sounded and what they did, and it ended up coming to define Nirvana's sound. <laughs> it really helped him that he was a much better songwriter than he was a musician. Yep, and and just what an incredible voice. I mean, just. Nirvana would not have been what they were without that voice. It's just, it's so powerful and haunting, yet at times so pleasant and just so full of emotion at all times. While singing pop lyrics. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, yeah, that, can you imagine Smells Like Teen Spirit with like a different vocal style? Yeah. It it would not have been as big. No. It's just there's something about his tone, the perfect amount of rasp and growl in it, and just, he just, you felt like he really believed every single word that he said. Yeah. And, yeah. I have to admit, he's not my favorite voice. He's a little bit hard for me to listen to, but I... Again, grunge and alternative rock is not exactly my scene. Yeah. Understandable. I just, I love his voice so much. It's one of my favorite aspects of Nirvana. And, uh, just, yeah. They, they changed music forever. Like, there, there were points in musical history where an album or a band came along and it instantly changed the entire face of popular music. I would say it's only happened three times. One, when Beatles Sgt. Pepper came out and we officially entered the the classic rock era is what I like to think of it as. Classic rock really began once Sgt. Pepper happened and modern pop. Then um, I would say when the Ramones album, first album came out and punk happened in the mid-70s. That was another turning point. And then the third one being when Nevermind came out and completely killed 80s hair metal <laughs> and kind of completely rewrote what popular music was in the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. And it kickstarted, I mean, really, it kickstarted the 2000s, like the entire scene. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, 2000s is really was full of a lot of post grunge and. You really get the indie scene from mm-hmm. all that, and the you have the garage rock revival yep. of the early two thousands. You know, would we have the White Stripes without Nirvana? Probably not. Probably not, because you know they were kind of almost spiritual successors in a way. And just yeah, there are there are fewer bands and fewer albums. That are that more more influential than Nirvana's Nevermind was, and so, you know, I'm gonna I picked four songs from it for this list. So, with that, take a break and come back. We'll get to our list. All right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, welcome back to episode 11 of the Good Music Podcast. We're talking about uh, Nirvana. We This is kind of this is actually our first true 90s band we've done on this podcast. So And the greatest 90s band? Yeah, I would say so. Definitely. If not, then definitely the best 90s album with Nevermind. And um, so for those of you that are maybe be listening for the first time, uh, what I do is we spend the first segment just talking about the artist. And then I go into some songs that I've picked. I usually pick about six songs to kind of highlight the artist. I kind of try and maybe think of, you know, if you've never listened to this artist before, what what should I use to introduce while at the same time trying to create an interesting musical journey from start to finish, like have a great starting song and then somehow work our way emotionally to a great ending song. And so, um, it's not me just picking the six most popular songs. It's not just the six, uh, my, what I think are their six best songs or my six favorite songs. It's, it's for that reason, trying to create not only a great stepping stone, but also create an interesting musical journey that hopefully when you reach the end of it, you at least felt something a little bit. And so that's the reasoning behind. So if your favorite Nirvana song did not make this list, that's okay. We'll definitely come back to them at some point, but um, leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening, you know, which ones... Uh, you would like to see us do next time, uh, it, let us know if your favorite does make the list. And um, yeah, with that, let's go ahead and jump into this set of six songs. So, Smells Like Teen Spirit, obvious choice here. And that's why I almost didn't pick it. I felt like it was too easy. I felt like it was too predictable, but and I had something different originally. And... At the last minute, I was just like, it has to be. It smells like Teen Spirit. It's, I feel like it's their anthem. It almost. is. It's absolutely. It's their It's their most well-known song. It's that song, and even more important, that music video was the reason Nirvana hit it so big. Once that video hit MTV, yeah. it was all over. I was going to say, MTV really helped that. I mean, with so many airplanes, I guess, I mean, it was one of their airplanes, so, mm-hmm. so many times. Yeah. It, um, you look at 90s music videos in general, and they pretty much all copied. Yeah. <laughs> smells like Teen Spirit. Just like, you know, it went away from the, um, the big set pieces, and the makeup, and, you know, all of the, all of the cool effects and theatrics. It was literally just them in a uh, sepia-toned room, them playing and just creating chaos. And you look at every 90s video that came out after it, and they definitely... They're all the same. Yep. Very point of view. Mm-hmm. Just cameras following them around, sometimes doing some random stuff in between. A lot of really depressing colors. Yes. (laughs) 
and um, just a lot of a lot of brooding, no smiling or yeah, everything was very very serious and very atmospheric. Like you know, you've got the slow mo going on yes. and um, they're like looking into the camera mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like you know being so grim. Yeah, and yeah, but I mean that video. It's it was a it was a genre and decade defining music video for sure. I think every time I listen to this song, I just imagine this is like a bumping mosh pit song. Yeah. Oh yeah. It absolutely is. Um it just like with a lot of I I talk about this at least once every episode about how you've got an album and it's almost done. And there's just like, wait, I've got one more song to put on here. And it ends up being the biggest song on the album. Yep. It smells like Teen Spirit. It was all, It was written before, but it wasn't intended to make the album. It was one of the last songs written for sure. And it was originally in its beginning stages so different. It was a lot faster. It was a lot less melodic. And it was, it was really kind of something that would have fit on their first album. And they kind of just work, kept working on it and kept, you know, perfecting it until we got what we have. And I read that the name came from that this friend of Kurt's made a comment about him. Yeah, she said that Kurt smells like Teen Spirit, which is was like a <laughs> um, a ladies deodorant. <laughs> so just saying that he had her scent on him. And that I, I became won't. the title for the song. Yeah. He asked her if he could use that lyric. And she was just like, how the heck is he going to use that as a song lyric? Um, but, but he did. And then he created the song of a generation from it. Um, and then Nevermind was also the first album with Dave Grohl on drums. They had yes. a different drummer on the first album. so They this, went through three drummers before they found Dave Grohl? I believe so, yeah. And, man, did they find a drummer. Yeah. And just so, you know, that, what a way for him to make an appearance with that opening film. Yep. Solid, solid drum track. Um, and then I feel like Chris Novoselic really does not get enough credit in Nirvana. I think he just does such a great job. Like, just as a bass player, just, I think, really defining how you sit back in the mix and just... You're providing that drive, mm-hmm. but just in a really understated way. You're just sitting back in the pocket. You're in line with the kick, and you're just... And yet at the same time, his bass parts are so interesting when you mm-hmm. actually listen to them. Like, you listen to it, and you're just like, what a great bass part. It's melodic enough to where it's not just simple playing chords, but at the same time, he's not doing any more than yeah. need be. It's not like he's going off on these crazy runs. But, I mean, when mm-hmm. he does kind of make some moves, it just fits with the... Me- especially, I think he does such a great job with fitting with Kurt's melodies all the time. Yeah. I feel like everyone talks about Kurt and Dave, but not enough people talk about how great of a bass player Kurt and Chris Novoselic was. he was also a giant. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. And he... You see him now, he does not look... Like, he would have been in a rock band at all. He just looks like your normal dude that, like, runs a thrift store. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Great, great bass playing. So, it was just... I I had to accept 
This there's no. no other song, at least not for the first one, that you can open with. I feel like this song is like the perfect example of Nirvana style. Yeah. I mean, just with the way it comes down from the intro mm-hmm. to the verses, it has a really interesting guitar part in the verses. Yeah. And very minimalistic. Very minimalistic. Just two two notes. And then in full force, pedal to the metal in your face. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> And then just the famous indecipherable chorus lyrics yeah. where people just can't under, you can't understand what he's saying. But somehow in a concert, everybody... Everyone's just <laughs> like, everyone's probably just seeking their own goobly gawk version of what they've heard. Like, I don't think anyone has like ever truly knows what he's saying until they like actually like see it on paper and they go, oh, but I don't get it. <laughs> Which I think, I don't, I don't know if, when they stopped it, but... Back then, they used to put the lyrics in the CD album covers. Yeah. I don't, you know, I would never read them unless I really, really like needed to. <laughs> but it's just kind of like, even with Smells Like Teen Spirit, I heard the song so many times and I, and I always knew I never knew what he was actually saying, but I like didn't want to look it up. It was kind of like, I just want to like do it the way I think it is. <laughs> just and, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And the only thing is, here we are now, entertainers. <laughs> some something stupid and contagious. Yeah, anthem, absolute anthem, and I'm happy that I picked it because I was just like, yep, yeah, this this is where we need to start. We just need to start pedal to the metal. No build up here. No. Um, artsy selection for the first song which i've done the last couple times let's just just start off full sprint and just kind of let the listener know that we are serious when we're this talking is about Nirvana. <laughs> yep and i knew that if i pick smells like teen spirit first that means i get to put in bloom second that's right. Because originally that was not on the list either. And in Bloom is one of their older staples. Oh, yeah. That was one of, that was, I believe it was the first song that they recorded for the album. And so the recording for the album happened in two different places. They did a lot of early demos in Washington. And uh, one of those demos actually remained unchanged in the final album. We'll actually get to that later. Um, but then they came down to, uh, LA and went to the, uh, amazing Sound City studio mm-hmm. and re-recorded everything and, uh, and, and then, and polished it, you know, refining the parts, you know, fixing things here and there. And, uh, In Bloom was the first one that they tackled once they got down to LA. They had, they had already written it. But they were just like, let's just start with an easy one that we don't have to, like, work from the ground up. Let's just take one we've already figured out most of what we're doing and and figure out how to turn it from a good song to a great song. The song is also the first music video that they ever made. Yep. And it's a really fun music video. Um, definitely uh, something that the Red Hot Chili Peppers would yes. expand on later with Absolutely. Danny California. One of my favorite music videos ever. So this song, again, I think it kind of highlights 
I don't even know how to pronounce his name, our bass player. Chris Novoselic. Chris Novoselic. I think the song really highlights Novoselic right yeah. here. Yeah. And, man, Dave Grohl with those drum fills. Oh, yeah, right. Going to the chorus. Absolutely. Oh, and just that opening. That was the first song I ever taught myself on drums. It wasn't the first song I learned. My drum teacher taught me Back in Black first. But In Bloom was the first one that I listened to it, and I thought to myself... I got to figure out how to play this song. And I remember I was backstage at the church and there was a little drum set in the green room. <laughs> and I, I hadn't been playing drums for very long, but um, my dad was just like, hey, kind of show him some of the stuff you've been learning. And so I hopped on and I played the beginning of In Bloom. And I could tell that I had I didn't play it too well and they were kind of just being nice and just going, oh, yeah, we've got Dave Grohl over here. <laughs> I think it was my cousin Daniel that said that. By the way, I have a I kind of have some firsthand experience. My, so my cousin Daniel, um, he was seventeen or around that age when Nevermind came out. So I've heard him talk to me personally about like he said that when he heard that album for the first time that it was the first band he ever listened to that truly wrote an album about him. That he was just like. I understand exactly what he's saying and how he feels because that's how I feel. Wow. I'll have to ask Daniel about that this weekend. Yeah. Ask him oh. just kind of about that. Um, yeah. He, so uh, I kind of got a little off there. But anyway, In Bloom, it's one of my favorites for sure. It's just – it's – and I would say of all the songs on this list, it's the most – it's one of the most pop oriented as yeah. far as the way the melodies work what a what a great pop chorus and just uh, all the way the way they layer all the vocals and um it's just a really well-written song and it's one of my favorites to sing along to ironically because that's kind of what the song's kind of about the yeah you know he he didn't mean to write the song about himself but it kind of ended up becoming that the song was kind of like you know for at the time because remember they wrote the song before they got really big but they were kind of starting to get that following in the underground washington scene and they they were starting to get some more people that were coming to see their shows that really didn't know a lot about the band almost kind of like they were jumping on the bandwagon a little bit and he kind of was writing about them, just kind of like, you know, he doesn't get what we're really about, but he's yeah. like, this is the cool thing to do is to go see this band, so I'm just going to come along. Little did he know that he would do that on a global scale, <laughs> and that song would be have be so much more relevant of people that were like, you know, this is just a popular band, you know, we're not, I don't really know what he's singing about, but he knows not what it means. Yeah. He just knows the name. Mm-hmm. And knows, oh, this is the popular band right now. Sure, yeah, I'll listen. But then, you know, hopefully maybe just by association, get sucked in. So that takes us to our third song, which is happens to be my favorite song on this list, About a Girl. Yeah, so this is this is kind of the one of the curveballs I wanted to put in the set. And I wanted to have at least one song to represent the early era of Nirvana. Bleach, I'm not a huge fan of it, 
just because it's it's so hard to listen to. It's so primal, and normally I, I like that, but for some reason, just a lot of Bleach doesn't resonate with me, except for About a Girl, because it's the one song that really showed where they were about to go. Yeah. Um, he originally didn't want to put the song on the album because he felt it would be too pop, and yeah. that he would, you know... He felt like it was too risky at the time. I'm he would sure. lose his credibility as a yeah. grunge player, and... He ended up deciding, eh, I'll put it on there. And the reason it's called About a Girl is because he didn't have a title for it. And the drummer asked him, what's this song about? And he said, it's about a girl. <laughs> Classic Kurt Cobain there. Yeah. Um, and yet, it sounds like a Beatles song that's wrapped up in a grunge blanket. Yep. And, you know, it's no surprise. He That's what he really wanted. John Lennon was his inspiration. Yep. There's a lot of things that their producer got him to do in the studio by just saying John Lennon did it. He'd yeah. be like, fine, I'll do it. I think this song is, you know, you said you wanted to throw a curveball. There's an interesting deviation just from, I mean, when you look at Bleach, mm-hmm. it's so different from all the other songs. It's so much cleaner, mm-hmm. um, just you, with the guitars, and even the drums, it's so much, it's so different from everything else that's in there. Yeah. And just, you know, it's, you can definitely tell they didn't have as nice of a studio or equipment to use. But at the same time, it's just, it's a very pure song. I agree. I think it highlights uh, Kurt Cobain's guitar playing style here because as the song progresses, he just gets more and more sloppy. Yeah. (laughs) Just like, it starts off pretty good. By the end of the song, he's just wailing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, it's you can tell that it was also just it was a band that was doing it live together in the yeah. studio. Like if they were all checking their parts individually, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, you wouldn't have that energy in there. You, yeah, and or you just you would be playing bar by bar and just you know, you wouldn't have that natural progression of someone that's like getting too into the music that yeah. is just like not caring. Um and yeah, it's just about a girl was the really the the thing that signaled what Nirvana was about to be and the biggest indication of where their future was because it is it does not really fit in with the rest of the album and the song really went unknown for a long time until they did their MTV Unplugged concert that's right which was one of the last things Kurt did before his death um, very very popular. I was gonna say, yeah. Live record and about a girl was kind of like the 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 big song on that because it was the song they pulled away from that first album and almost in a way put it a bit more into context and kind of showed more. It's just like yeah, we we know how to write these kinds of songs too. We're not just loud and aggressive and yeah. angsty. And I'm sure that's the Unplugged album really helped with, really helped showcase a lot. And I think even there's another song on this list that really got highlighted by the Unplugged album as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that takes us into our next song, a very strange, strange song. And if you don't know the backstory behind Polly, you're Oh, gonna... well, no, we're skipping one. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Drain You. Drain You, yeah. You can't drain skip you. Drain You. Oh, I'm sorry. I love that song. So this, so we we had two in-your-face aggressive songs. Lay it back a little bit on About a Girl. But then I wanted to 
kind of jump right back in, <laughs> you know. Um, but at the same time, have a song that's got a little bit of a darker edge yeah. to it. There's there's a breakdown in the middle of this song that is really like unsettling. It's very it, now. Did Rain you come on? It came off of their third album. No, this was off of Nevermind. Okay. So this was this wasn't one of their big hits, although it was it was a modest hit off of the album. It was there were definitely songs on it that were more popular, but. I feel like this is kind of an... It's not one of the deep tracks on the album, but I do feel like it's an overlooked song. It does show, I think, especially in that breakdown, it shows a little bit of their versatility. Mm-hmm. Because they... And you can even tell like they were experimenting a little bit just with yeah. the sounds and what they were trying to make that came out on, on, through this song. In my opinion, it's that middle breakdown is what makes the song so interesting to me. Because, it, you know, it's an great written song i love the verses i love the choruses the chorus is super catchy and um but it's like if you didn't have that breakdown it would kind of not stand out it would just kind of be like your normal song but when you put that in it's kind of like you just go oh wait a second here kirk Cobain also said that this is his favorite song Hmm. interesting i did not know that actually i read that i read this the other day that apparently he only said he liked Smell Like Team Spirit first because of just how popular it was. But really... He really came to hate that song, yeah. actually. But Drain You is really his favorite song. That makes sense. I think that it really... It's such a twisted love song, as as he was so good at writing. Yeah. About kind of, you know, you just love almost being parasitic. You just drain each other of your of each other's love in in really kind of gross ways, you know. This breakdown too, I feel like, has a lot of modern metal elements in it. Yeah, um, it is a really metallic thing, um, especially really foreseeing where metal was kind of going yeah. later. Didn't get there right at that time because you know you had you know metallica and pantera and all those bands really being big in the early 90s but when you get into the 2000s you get into stuff like post metal and even like um ambient black metal that's kind of they kind of have that sound that nirvana was using in that breakdown and then then that blood curdling scream at the end right (laughs) before it all comes back in um it was a very metal moment. I think that's also why I like it so much. It's it's dark. It's weird. And I feel like this song, because it has that, that dark part to it, while still serving as a pick-me-up from about a girl, it kind of sets you up a little bit for the darker path we're about to go on with the following songs. Which, forgive me, I jumped ahead, but... <laughs> If you don't know what Polly is about, you're going to be a little lost. Yeah. So, um, Polly uh, was about an incident that Kurt Cobain read about in Washington about a girl that was abducted after a punk rock concert and she was raped and tortured with a blowtorch. And the she eventually was able to escape, but 
the song takes the perspective of the torturer. Yeah, it's a first person perspective. Yeah. And it's just, it's so bizarre. But I think that that's just what made Kurt Cobain so good. Could you imagine one of the biggest records in the world having a song like that? No. Like. And he did it with just him and an acoustic guitar, mate. With mostly. A, with a cheap like $20 acoustic guitar. <laughs> so this was the one song that they recorded in Washington that didn't get um, re-recorded. Wow. They did add some things later, like some of the back background vocals were yeah. added in, in L.A. And I think the cymbal hits, but like Kurt's main vocal track and his acoustic guitar track were unaltered from their Washington sessions. And... You can kind of hear that the song has a bit less of a fidelity as far as the sound yeah. quality. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, that's another thing that Nirvana just changed was like, you can, the kind of, he kind of showed, you can write about really dark, messed up stuff and people will kind of still cling to it. You don't have to be afraid about dark subject matter anymore. You can kind of just, you know, write what, your feeling and what interests you. And so I think that Polly is a really good um, um, example of that. And it's a really catchy song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling you have different opinions about that. I mean, it's just... It's hard for me to think about it in a different way now that I know what this song is about. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's not, you know, glorifying the... No. The person... I kind of I kind of view it as like like I really love horror movies and like and really dark stories. Just kind of they, I don't know, they just they interest me. I hope that doesn't mean that I'm like a terrible person, but no, I don't think so. Um I just I think that the the psychology and the just the way he's saying everything as being so nonchalant and so matter of fact, like like he's so indifferent and he's bored almost. Yeah, this song is a real. It's really different from. I mean, obviously everything else on the album, mm-hmm. but even just all well, of their all their. It's music. really there's it's really not out of place on the album because there's some other songs that got some really weird strange stuff in it I guess that's true I guess I just mean musically yeah um definitely again kind of showing what About a Girl was hinting at that they could do these softer acoustic driven songs and um not just be your loud noisy garage band (laughs) that they had a little more to them and I just also think that it really showcases how affectionately flawed Kurt's guitar playing was. Yeah. And there's a really cool blooper in it, too, when he says, Polly says, and then he realized he came in on the wrong spot and he stops. <laughs> and then he comes back in. Like, that wasn't on purpose. That was because he messed up the timing. But they were like, oh, screw it. Just leave it in, in there. <laughs> Again, just you don't get stuff like that when you're when you're recording bar by bar and you know it's just like all this stuff was being done in one take maybe spliced together they they made even though now at that point digital recording was possible and was starting to become popular this album was still recorded on tape 
Yeah. Which I think is really awesome. Sounds better, I think. Can't tell the difference now. Well, maybe. It might also be psychological. When you, when you hear something's on tape, all of a sudden your mind thinks that it sounds better. Yeah. There's some great sounding stuff digital. But it's not as much about how it sounds, but just like there's so much more artistry in recording on tape. Because you can't just fix everything later. You gotta get it right when you're recording. You've gotta you've gotta capture the perfect take. Um, you can't auto tune. You can't beat doctor things to where you make stuff that was off tempo tempo again. You can't splice together fifty million takes and create the perfect run. Like you can't record, you know, four measures at a time and then just fix it all together later, like. The way when you, if you're gonna record on tape, you better get your core instruments down in in one go all the way through, because it's so hard to splice tape together. And so I just have an immense amount of respect for, especially modern music that's made on tape, because it's so easy to kind of go back to the technology to make things sound good, and then people just take the time. It's Foo Fighters do it, and I love it. They record on tape, and they just they. It's more about just you got to get the right drum take, the right bass trick. Someone messes up, either it's ex- ex- insignificant or cute enough that you can keep it in, or you go back and you do yeah, another take. Again. You do it again and again. Sometimes you do fifty to a hundred takes of something, which is amazing when you think about Kurt Cobain and how he refused to do multiple takes, and yet somehow the producer. Managed to convince him that it's because he said John Lennon did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or doing overdubs where he would, you know, like layer his voice. He's just like, no, I don't want to do that. Well, John Lennon did it. Well, fine, give me the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be our new joke now. Well, John Lennon did it. Yeah, and the thing is, he whatever we say, he probably did do it. <laughs> yeah. So that that takes us to our next song, "All Apologies," which I'm assuming is your favorite. Song. Yes, it is. This is my favorite Nirvana song. And me, whenever I hear music for the first time, I am rarely the type of person that I am smitten by a song on the first listen. Usually I got to hear something. So I can be piqued and curious and interested or go, wow, that was a great song. But then I'll move on to the next track. Like when I'm listening to an album for the first time. Rarely do I ever hear a song and I go, I got to listen to that again right now and restart it and listen to it again. I usually never do that. All Apologies is one of the few times that I've done that. I heard it on the radio playing and I was just like, is, I, what is this? Nirvana? Oh. And immediately when I got home, I went and bought the song on iTunes because I was just like, I got to listen to it again. It's just there's something about it that just like clicked with me. And I just, I think the song is just so interesting, but it's so simple at the same time. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but this was like pretty much everyone's last, you know, besides the MTV Unplugged, like it's the last song on their last studio album. Yeah. 
And it wasn't the last song he recorded, because there was another one he recorded before he died, but that didn't get released until after he passed away, which was You Know You're Right. But for a lot of people, this was like the last Nirvana song. And so when you know that, it kind of adds this like eerie element to the song, especially when you get to the end and like things start kind of going off the rails. Yeah. As it winds down and just kind of decrescendos, like I love, I loved that quality about it. When I heard it the first time, I was just like, I thought it was just going to be like this big guitar solo and they would go back to the chorus. But then I was just like, wait, a, wait, what are they doing? They're just, they're just like, it's getting crazier, but at the some, same time, it's getting less. What? And it's just Kurt singing the same line over and over. Yep. <laughs> and I was just like, that's really cool. Yeah, this song is super emotional. Yeah. And it also, introduction of strings. Yeah. It's uh, uh, it's the only song from in, in Utero to get on this list. Although, when we come back, we're, we're going to explore a lot more of In Utero. But I felt like a lot of that album is really hard to listen to if you've never listened to Nirvana for the first time. But All Apologies is like... Not only the easiest song to listen to on that album, it's the best song on that album. Now, earlier we talked about the Unplugged album, and the acoustic version for this song became very popular. So much so that MTV ended up using this performance as the music video. Yeah. It was definitely... It definitely got a big boost. That... All Apologies about a girl, and then... um, Their cover of David Bowie's Man Who Sold the World were kind of like the big songs off of that record that really um really almost justified them doing a whole acoustics album like it's kind of like you think to yourself okay why are we going to do an acoustic album oh because we've got these great songs these would be great because it's like songs like that don't really fit as much in a nirvana concert because they're you know nirvana concerts were crazy yeah they were insane they would smash their instruments every night and play everything super up-tempo. And it was just like these calmer songs just kind of don't fit as well in that type of concert. And so when you have an MTV Unplugged acoustic concert, it's almost like this is the time where these songs get to really shine live. I think it really just reminded everybody that, yes, Nirvana was a grunge alternative band, but they were still great music makers Mm -hmm. and songs like all apologies is what really stood them apart from everyone else in the grunge scene not other grunge artists made low-key emotional songs but not in as interesting ways as nirvana did like like nothing no other song i can think of sounds like all apologies it's really unique sounding um, just the way that the verses go and then how it gets so ultra heavy in the chorus, but then like it just shifts right back. And then the weird way that the song ends into this, just like, like almost like they're like going into a black hole almost. <laughs> and it's just like, everything's coming loose, but at the same time fading away. Yeah. And it's like, none of the other grunge bands were able to do that with their softer songs. They kind of just more wrote your standard soft songs. 
you know just your classic rock ballad yeah you're yeah exactly they weren't they weren't reinventing the wheel the way nirvana was and like doing stuff that's just like no one else is doing this and so just that's what makes them so interesting to me and why i just i i love all apologies and i think there's also just a bit of an intangible quality i don't think i could really fully describe why i love all apologies so much it was just like this invisible thing that just made me really, really latch onto this song. And so that's how I feel about it. And that concludes our list. For that this includes week. our concludes our list, yeah. So um just to recap, our songs were Smells Like Teen Spirit, In Bloom, About a Girl, Drain You, Polly, and All Apologies. So when we come back We are going to look at the bonus song, and we'll wrap things up, so stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about Nirvana in this episode. We just finished talking about the song list. If you want to listen to these songs, um, the instructions of how to find the playlist for all of the songs that we talk about every week is in the description. Um, I put them on Spotify. If you don't have Spotify, that's perfectly fine. Um, You can use whatever streaming service that you prefer. Um, but Spotify is what I use. I find it the easiest to work with and you'll find them there. They're in the correct order and, um, take a listen to them, especially if you've never heard these songs or you haven't listened to them in a long time, or maybe you are familiar with them, but maybe you'll gain a new appreciation for them in the order that they're sequenced in because a lot of thought goes into that. So, um, yeah, find me on Spotify. Give me a follow. Follow the playlist. It's the Good Music Podcast Edition playlist. And now we're going to talk about the bonus song. What the bonus song is, is a song that I like to pick either that is not as well known or from a band that maybe only has one or two great songs or you know an underground band that doesn't get a lot of recognition. And I also like for the bonus song to have some kind of connection or association with our featured artist every week. And so the bonus song that I picked for Nirvana is uh, Cut Me Some Slack from the uh, Sound City soundtrack. So what this was, was Dave Grohl made a documentary about the Sound City uh, music studio in LA, where Nevermind was recorded, and just talked about all of the great albums that were recorded there. Um, uh, Fleetwood Mac's self-titled album was recorded there. Tom Petty recorded there. Dio, Rage Against the Machine. Um, just Rick Springfield. Tons and tons of huge artists recorded there. Slipknot recorded their first album there. Um, and it was kind of like just a an homage to that 
studio because obviously he had very fond memories because that's where they made their career-defining album. And then Sound City closed. It's no longer available. So he brought together a lot of the musicians that had recorded there before and wrote all new songs and pretty much recaptured what Sound City was about, which is great-sounding instruments, recording on tape, and just making great gut-punching rock and roll records. And there's a lot of great songs on that album. But the best one is when all of a sudden Paul McCartney just shows up. In this jam, essentially. Yeah, just like you've got Dave Grohl on the drums, you got Chris Novoselic back, so it's pretty much like the closest we ever got to a Nirvana reunion. Uh, You got Pat Smear also playing who uh, did a lot of touring support with Nirvana, as well as became a member of the Foo Fighters. And, yeah, so you've pretty much just got, like, a mashup of Nirvana and the Beatles, which, of course, would have made Kurt Cobain so happy. Yeah. And so... um, And Paul, it's interesting hearing Paul McCartney sing. Yeah. Attempting to sing. In a Kurt Cobain way. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he... you Then that means you haven't really listened to a, a lot Probably of... Probably not. A, a lot of Beatles stuff, because he really pioneered the screaming sound. You listen to a song like Helter Skelter, he pretty much invented... that's true. He invented right. heavy metal vocals. So, I mean, yes, in a way, he... I, I never really thought of it before. I guess he was kind of almost channeling Kurt Cobain in a in a way... But at the same time, doing what he knows he can do. There's just some parts in his vocal performance that I'm just like, oh yeah, like especially like some of the ad lib stuff. You're just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's that's what Kurt would do. Yeah, and it's just it's it's not a very structured song. It's not <laughs> it's not meant to be like this. It's just again, it's like just back to roots, garage rock. Just like get a bunch Jamming of guys out. together. <laughs> Let's just see where it goes. I just I love the part in the documentary where they're and they're in the studio and they're showing them different recording and then all of a sudden just Paul McCartney just walks in <laughs> and they're just kind of like it's Paul McCartney what is he doing there <laughs> and he's he's like hey let's let's let's, oh, let, let's play a song together and they're just like okay yeah cool if you if you've never seen the Sound City documentary it is one of my favorite music documentaries ever there's some parts that just give me chills especially the Fleetwood Mac part is so amazing um and then just watching Tom Petty talk about his experience at Sound City and then of course Dave Grohl just talking about you know how much Sound City meant to him it's a really great thing to watch so if you've never watched it before go watch it i Last I checked, it's streaming on Hulu. I don't know if it still is. And then, of course, according to when you've listened to it, I don't know. But it would it's worth renting. It's worth going out and buying to watch. I think it's the best, it's the best music documentary I've ever watched. And I've watched a lot. <laughs> I don't doubt that. And it's, just, it's, a, it's a really cool thing to just kind of see a place where all of these great records were made. Um, and then just, yeah, the the end part of that documentary is them coming in and making all of these tribute songs to that studio. 
And that's where Cut Me Some Slack came from. Just a fun little jam. Yeah. With, with Paul McCartney. With Paul McCartney, you know. Just a small little thing. They won a Grammy for that song. Which is crazy. Best rock performance. Mm. So, I mean, it's great. It's a great song to just jam out to. Fitting tribute to Nirvana? Mm-hmm. I would say so. And just, you know, a song I feel, even though it won a Grammy, I feel like it's a song not many people realize is out there. Yeah, and so for I, sure. I felt like this would be a, because obviously I'm not going to put Foo Fighters as a bonus song. And I didn't want to. Do, I didn't want to do another grunge scene song. I was just like, this could be a really interesting one and could have a cool story attached to it. So, yeah. So there's our bonus song. Um, so, Justin, you told me that you never had really listened to Nirvana that much. After now listening to them, what are your opinions? And how how does that compare to what? where we are in our musical journey so far. Hmm. I think I told you this before grunge and alternative rock is not necessarily my scene. However, I do appreciate the fact that Nirvana really changed the game just with how music is structured, how music is played, how lyrics are written. I mean, they really kind of kicked off a really introspective style mm-hmm. um just a very emotional very um i don't want to say somber but just like just a really heart aching kind of style of music that really resonated with an entire generation of people and so um and they did it in their own way you know i think i think kurt cobain would have been an incredible pop songwriter but he did it under the banner of grunge Mm -hmm. which was a really interesting thing for me um but it's interesting listening to nirvana and just kind of seeing where we are today in the music world and just seeing how much people have taken from from what they've done and what they trailblazed and it's it's really fascinating um but also giving an homage to the beatles i mean it's just it's it's fascinating to see just where kind of how far we've come with, mm-hmm. with with the Beatles. Do you think you would have appreciated Nirvana as much had we not dived into the Beatles first? I don't think so. I think I would have. I mean, you know, I'm a pop fan. Mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed it just for the lyrics, but musically, um, I don't think so. So probably. N- not my number one choice of band to listen to, but I do appreciate what they've done. And I think it's, it is a shame that, you know, the world lost a legend. Yeah. Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. Nirvana, I've always been interested in them, but I've found that I've really liked them the older I've gotten. Just kind of the more I listen to and kind of the more just kind of I experience life and have different emotions and all that is just kind of like you know I feel like I understand it a little more mm. and it kind of hits me a little closer to home I think Kurt Cobain's writing was very mature for yeah. especially for that for for the 90s and even just even now like mm-hmm. just what he talked about and how he talked about it even like with Polly and what you said about you know not not being afraid to, to to take on talking about some pretty terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that really it really opened the doors for a lot of people. It did. He he they were just trailblazers in so many ways than one. And just they they will go down. There's a reason why people still are gravitating to them today. They're definitely not a band that has is being forgotten about. Their music is still like I would say Smells Like Teen Spirit is still a song that a lot of um, younger people would know today. Yeah. I think the the biggest thing that I, I think I get from Nirvana is just how they, I feel like they made playing music feel like it was accessible. Like, you know, we talk about, we've talked a lot about how just when you hear Nirvana's music, you just, you think, oh, I can just pull up a garage band together and just rock mm-hmm. out. And, yeah. It's and kind of inspiring. It is kind of inspiring because they just, they made it so simple to play. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to be a virtuoso at your no. instrument. Yeah, like I think about, you know, a couple weeks ago we, we talked about ACDC. And, I mean, just even, I would even say with Tears for, with, or Tears for Fears with synth pop, like, you know, and even Pink Floyd, like, so this meticulously, you know, put together soundscapes. Mm-hmm. And then here comes Nirvana just wrecking it all Mm -hmm. just with pure doing everything in two takes (laughs) just pure like i don't care yeah and just had it been any other period it wouldn't have happened no they the the stars and the planets literally aligned for them to make come along and make those albums at the time that they did it was the perfect time and they only made three? Three, yeah. That's it. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we'll come back to Nirvana at some point. We've got a lot of other artists to get to first, though. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Whatever uh, platform you're listening on, please hit the subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Leave a rating. Um, share with your friends, those people that uh, that you know that are into music and hearing and learning about music. Um, please let them know about this. We want to continue to get those listens up. And um, specifically in the Coldplay one. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. We got to <laughs> keep the Coldplay train going. Um, and then next week we're going to be returning back to the world of eighties pop with uh, a band called Genesis. Oh, so another uh, band I have never listened to. Oh, before. you are in for a treat, Justin. You are in for a pleasant treat. Before we go, though, I have to ask you, for all of our new listeners, what is one episode that you think they should go back and listen to? You gotta go listen back to the Beatles. It's a sh- those those of you that um, are younger and you don't really know who the Beatles are. You just think they're these old dudes that made really lame music. You're so wrong. <laughs> you, the Beatles is the foundation that all these other bands we talk, like if you like Nirvana, you have to like the Beatles because without Nirvana, without the Beatles, there would be no Nirvana. There would be no, um, Pink Floyd. There would be no, um, 
Metallica or Queen. Like, those bands exist because of the Beatles. John Lennon did it. <laughs> John Lennon did it first. That's right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and then check out all the episodes that we've released in the past. Um, maybe you'll find something that's interesting. But I would say that it's what I probably should have made the first episode about because it's the starting point of all popular music. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But thank you so much for listening. I'm Lucas. I'm Justin. And keep on listening to good music. See ya.